Listen, we, are, uh, we have been in this series on Genesis. I'm going to finish it up next week. Actually, I'm going to finish it up this week as far as finishing the 1 through 11. But what I would like to... Uh, but what I would like to share with you next week is kind of an overall look, and I'm really looking forward to finish every this whole series up next Labor Day weekend. And then after that, um, I'm going to be heading a series on overcome things, uh, overcoming things uh, personally in your life. You know, a lot of you face stuff, you know, whatever it be, trauma, whether it be the way you grew up, perhaps it's even an addiction, uh, one that you haven't even admitted to yet. And it doesn't have to be a dangerous addiction, but what is it that we turn to? And how do we live and not be a servant of anything around us, right? So the strength to overcome is that series we're going to start after Labor Day. But as I finish this one up, uh, today is just the, the rise and fall of Babylon, basically. Um, and, and, but I want you to see this because yeah, today is going, to be, uh, is going to be one of those days that I, I really just want to just share some things with you. Uh, that have to do with you understanding maybe, maybe the scriptures in total, maybe the bigger look at it, right? Because there's so much to it to the person that wants to know. And I want you to see part of that today. Uh, it will majorly increase the faith of those of you that are, that are believers and your strength, uh, your faith will strengthen in God's word if, that we call the scriptures, the Bible, because you'll see there's no one that could have put all this together and to make it all match down to the century. So you'll see it in just a minute. If you're not, if you're not a believer here today, I want you to understand that there's this, there's this picture of the God who created us, and we all have a belief in something. What is it that you count on to come through for you? What is it that you're trusting in? Well, I'm trusting in myself. Well, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but how's that working out? I mean, seriously, because you're not going to find inside yourself the things that you need to meet the needs that are in there, that God created you with. It's an incredible thing to think about, okay? But you'll see as we get there. And, uh, and I'm going to have to move along a little faster. Now, let me go ahead and tell you straight up front. Yes, I know that I am going to be opening, opening up the box that's going to, there's going to be a flood of questions that you might have about this. But I'm going to try to stay, which is hard for me, I'm going to try to stay pretty singularly focused uh, on the thought, of, the thought of Babylon or Babel, okay? Uh, this, this particular story, there's really not much to it, but it's, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. All right, which is you, if you don't understand or know that yet, the Babel, the early city of Babel became obviously Babylon. And there's all through the scriptures, there's this picture of that. So Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, again, if you want to write some of these things down, because I mean, if you're not interested in looking at them later, then, then you don't have to write them down. But if you're interested in looking at and knowing these things, then, then this would help, okay? The, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters is broken up into four parts. And it's, they're real easy, they're real straightforward. Uh, you have the creation account, you have the fall, that is how sin entered the world because there's two things you need to know. You need to know, obviously, who God, who, who and how, and the creation that happened and then all-powerful and that type thing. And then you need to know, okay, what is it that, that caused this world to get off track? So 
so the sin. And then you have the flood, which is a great picture. We talked about that last week. And then the final part of these first is, is basically the rise and fall of Babylon, or Babel, which eventually becomes Babylon. Now, I want you to see here, there's going to be a lot of symbolism here. The, the book of Revelation talks at the end times about this, this Babylon and the fall, the eventual, the eventual final fall of Babylon. But there's been these pictures throughout the Bible of, of Babylon, and I just want you to see them because they all begin here. And sometimes if you can just get where they begin then it begins to fall into place that, wow, these things, these things in this, that we call the scripture, we call the Bible, there is no way that, that the congruity, if you will, and the, and the unity of purpose and point as it comes down through the ages, okay, as you'll see it in just a minute. You know, last week we talked about the flood and the picture of Noah, the picture of the ark, being pictures of who Christ is and what he was going to do. And there's a lot of those in the scriptures. And obviously the flood and the ark is a huge picture. But also in the scriptures, there are pictures of what the book of Revelation would call the Antichrist. He's been called many things throughout uh, the Bible. But in the Old Testament, there are also pictures of him also. And that is, that's the picture here you're going to get this morning. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation and share with you some other things. That is this one who was to come. Okay? That is there's this one who was to come. So other than just you know, giving you a lot more of things a little more broad, let's jump right into it to make sure I have as much time to share it with you so that you can see the parallels that go along with it. Okay? Number one, we're not going to talk so much about Babel yet, but we're going to talk about the ruler. The ruler of Babel or the ruler of Babylon. I'm going to, call, I'm going to stop calling it Babel. Uh, the Tower of Babel or Babel, whichever you would like to say, uh, because most people, all they know about it is that there was a confusion of languages there. But so many don't know why and what the, what the, what the picture was that God has in this incredible story. It's a little story. don't have much information, but when you begin to see how it relates, it's pretty amazing. So this ruler who was to come, this, this ruler of Babylon, which is the picture that the, this, this ruler of Babylon, that, it, that there's this picture in the book of Revelation, and he's called, obviously, he's called the Antichrist, the son of perdition, whatever you want to call him, the son of destruction. It's, it's that one. It's that one. So let's take a look at the first one of all of them. It's kind of interesting. Uh, take a look now, if you will, in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And it talks about in verse 6. Now, I don't have time to go back and tell you, but there was a part after Noah and all of his family came off the ark, there was a time when, when one of his sons dishonored him. Noah got drunk, and, uh, and basically one of his sons dishonored him in his drunken state. And it was ham, the, the, not, not, not the meat, all right? But it's pronounced different, but my southern drawl won't allow me to pronounce it the way it should be. So we're just going to call it Ham. All right. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth, those were the three names of the three boys. Ham's the one that dishonored his father and was cursed. And so you have this line that was cursed. But I think it's interesting too, obviously, of what God, what Christ did at the cross lifts, lifts all those curses. But there's, some, there's an interesting thing here of this direction 
okay, this direction. So it goes on to say, and this is just, I'm just going to take just the next few minutes and just kind of let you see some things that perhaps you wouldn't even normally stop and look at or, or, or maybe even ever read. But let's take a look at this. It says, the sons of Ham. Okay, so Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem was obviously the eventual who would be the father uh, uh, and the Shem, Shemites, Semites, anti-Semitic. It's, this is where it came from. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so that's where Israel came from. But then you have this, this Ham, you have the sons of Ham. And, and here are the sons of Ham. Cush was one of his sons. Egypt. Interesting. Did you realize that Egypt was a person's name? Interesting, huh? So you're talking about that the nation of Egypt is ancient, ancient. Okay? About as ancient as it gets. So one of the sons of Ham was Egypt. Put, put, right? Canaan. Now, some of you know Canaan. If you don't know, that was the promised land. But it was eventually, it was at first a guy's name, uh, a son of Ham's name. But the Canaanites who were driven out so that Israel could have that land, that promised land that was promised to Abraham. Because you see, after the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis, God decides to build his own nation. And Abraham was chosen at Genesis chapter 12. And then it begins, okay? So up to this point, you have this transition between the, the flood and the time of Abraham. And so it tells you a little bit about it. And it goes on to talk about the sons of Cush, okay? And uh, you can take a look at all of those, uh, Ramah and uh, Sheba, which you've heard before if you've known anything about the scriptures. But also look at verse 8. It says that Cush fathered Nimrod. Yeah, I was, I was expecting that. Grow, now, now, this is interesting because the reason that his name became a joke was because of who he was and what he did. Okay? Nimrod. Okay, I don't know about you, but that was, that was the way it was with me growing up where I was from. Okay. You know, and you look at someone who does something stupid and you say, okay, Nimrod. That becomes kind of something. It's, it's not a term of endearment. It's basically look at him and saying, you know, you're an idiot, foolish, whatever is what it means. Because it goes back to Nimrod, who, who actually was the one who put all this together and he's building this tower. And obviously it became, it just became ridiculous, became stupid what he was trying to do and what he was trying to accomplish. And so the word translated down through the centuries, Nimrod, right? Uh, stupidity, uh, you know, if you will, basically false confidence in yourself, you know, thinking you are something you're not, that, that type. So that's Nimrod, all right? Nimrod. I'm going to say it one more time to give you a chance to get the giggles out, and then we need to move on, all right? All right, I found that out last night, all right? Now, now I want you to see where it says here, is that Cush fathered Nimrod, he said, but he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Mighty is an okay translation. I don't think it really fits here because, I mean, does that all mean all the rest of them were weak? That's not what it's saying. The word mighty can be translated and has been translated other times in the Old Testament as chief or chieftain. 
And of course, this was way before the time there were any kings or whatever, but it's basically the concept of king, ruler. So he was the first. Now, that, that makes it make sense. He was the first who began, who began to try to organize, unite, and set up a kingdom, if you will. And at the time, basically a one-world government to where he's building all these things. And Nimrod had that. He had that ability. He had that ability. He had that strength of character. He had that personality. Okay? And uh, he was a mighty hunter, therefore chief hunter. And so we're not really so much talking about a hunter like of animals, but it was someone who was, who was, who was establishing something. Okay? And, uh, and obviously the things that he did were not positive. So this before the Lord, the same phrase was used when it talked about the people at the time of Noah. So, so there, and it goes on to, it says, says, therefore it is said, so it became a saying, is that he was a mighty chief, if you will, or a chief hunter uh, before the Lord. Now, the beginning, verse 10, the beginning, okay, of his kingdom was Babel, which eventually became Babylon. So the king of Babylon, or if you will, the chief of Babylon at this time. And then it lists some of the others, uh, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, right, in the land of Shinar. And then he went on from there into Assyria, and he built Nineveh. So as you understand, the city of Nineveh among the Assyrians uh, became, is also a, a very extremely ancient city. And um, obviously the Jonah story and other things like that, Rehoboth, Kala, and, uh, but anyway, talks about the great city. So he wasn't just settling. So if you know where Babylon is, and if you know where Nineveh was, and you understand those things, and you say, Jeff, are those current day cities? No, they're, the ruins are there. But Babylon has been linked, hugely linked, um, throughout, throughout basically time, of this picture of a, of a ruler of Babylon. Babylon's been, been really has been linked with false, a false religion, if you will, a false direction to get to who God is. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about that in a minute. But I want to focus here on the ruler himself and what he was trying to do, okay? Because God, God had shared with them, God had instructed Noah to, to scatter and to multiply. And yet you've got, you've got Nimrod. His very name means he who rebels. Okay. And he was one of the, he was the first who basically said, God, we really don't need you. We can come up with our own answers for ourselves. And he had this incredible ability to pull people together and to organize them and to make them strong, if you will, to defend themselves and other things. But here's, here's the great struggle, is that he is a picture of what's going to happen in the book of Revelation about this, this world ruler. He was the first. There was another ruler that was a picture of this Antichrist Revelation, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was also king of Babylon. It's found in Daniel's, Daniel chapter 1, verses, or one, one through, chapters 1 through 3, 4, you can continue to read. But Nebuchadnezzar was, other than, other than Nimrod here, he was one of the first world leaders, 
world rulers, world conquerors. And, and that's why there's going to be this heading toward at the end, the book of Revelation talks about it, and there's a picture of it throughout, of this gathering together of people and that there's going to be, there's going to be one person who has the ability to unite people, okay? And in order to unite people, you're going to have to get them you're going to have to get them to turn their backs, if you will, on their system of belief, which it's not hard to do for most. But that's what this one, one guy's going to do. So you have this, there are several pictures in the Old Testament. There's Nimrod here, but there's all, Nebuchadnezzar was another huge picture. And what Nebuchadnezzar tried to do is as he would conquer groups of people, he would, he would get them to intermarry. And then basically, if you want to know what happened in Daniel 3, he, he, he erects this new religion that every, it's, everybody's going to be on the same page, right? Because if you can't get everybody on the same page, then we're never going to be able to get along. We're never going to have this one world government, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar puts up this big statue, and he tells everybody to bow down to it. This is our new God. This is what we're doing. Basically, he was setting it up himself. They were all worshiping him. But it was probably much more subtle than that. And so everybody worshiped, but you know the story about the, about the three Jewish kids. You know, the one thing that's incredible about our Jewish friends, that's the book of relationship. They, they are just stubborn enough is that they're not going to bow down, right? And the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they didn't bow down. And a lot of times all you have to do to get people to bow down is just to, I mean, think about it. Maybe even in this room, hopefully not, but maybe even in this room. What is it that's going to get you to vote for somebody in our culture? Oh man, if he's got the economy going, I'm voting for him. Also then, all it takes is for you to prosper and you to do well financially and materially. And you're on the page. Does that make sense? But it's interesting, down through the ages, our Jewish friends, God bless them by the way, our Jewish friends weren't going to bow, and they had been persecuted for generations because of it. Because your Nebuchadnezzars and others of the world, okay, have always tried to force them in to being a part of the whole, right? Compromising who you are so that you can be a part of the whole. And guys, that is what our country is all about today trying to put pressure on you to compromise who you are to fit into the greater whole. That is the ultimate plan. That is the only road to a one world type government. And that is coming. That's what the book of Revelation said. It's prefigured or pre-looked at the, in Nimrod. And, and I know that sounds weird every time I say it. I keep waiting for you to laugh every time I say it. But Nimrod, Nimrod, Nimrod. And then it goes to Nebuchadnezzar. And again, there are other pictures of that, but then you have this last one. He's not some ugly, pre, you, know, you know, disfigured demon looking. No, he's a charismatic guy who can unite people probably at a time of crisis, and he can restore peace and prosperity, and everybody's going to love him. Hey, yeah, I'm on his page. Look what he was able to do. Look who he was, he was able to get this country's leader and this country's leader to sit down and sign a piece of paper. He's amazing. Doesn't take much. Basically Nimrod, right? Now there's a, there's a place, there's a, there's a scripture 
that kind of shares about this. Eventually, what this guy's going to look like in Revelation, but also it all points toward it. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Now, the first couple of verses are just telling him why he's talking about it. Let's read it. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together uh, to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. What's he talking about? He's just telling hey, listen, guys, learn not to listen to rumors. No, this is what he's saying to them. Yeah, I'm saying it to you too. Learn not to listen to rumors because they had gotten word and somebody had told them, hey, listen, have you heard me? You've already missed it. The Lord's already come. You were left behind. And so they're freaking out. So the reason he's writing this is to calm them down and saying, hey, listen, listen, don't let these people upset you, is what he's saying. All right, let's go. And so verse three, it says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Uh-huh. He who rebels. So we're definitely talking, as you'll see just in a minute, we're definitely talking about this guy at the end. But then in, in Nimrod's case, what, who did he rebel against? He rebelled against God. Okay? So this guy is not going to be this rebel against the system here. No, he's going to establish that system. He's going to rebel against God. Now, Babylon itself has always been a picture of false belief and false religion. What do you mean? Well, it's pretty much anything that, that says it provides answers other than the true God. You see, and let me just go through this quickly. You were created to have a relationship with the God who created you. That's what we've been talking about over the last. That is why you were created. But if you will, the, 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 this cursed line, and obviously Nimrod in the different direction he's going, is that he's wanting to say to everybody that he has the answer. And that answer comes in all kinds of different forms and shapes and, and directions. But this is what you're looking for. This is what you're looking for. This is what you're looking for. And that's what Babylon's become. The word Babel, believe it or not, before it became known for what it became known for, it, it means the gate to the gods. So when they built this city, they were telling everybody, hey, listen, this is the place. Okay, this is the place. But then Babel became known as to confusion or to talk meaningless, you know, babbling. Well, they just kept babbling on, which basically means they kept talking but didn't say anything. All right, that's what it became known as. Now, so first the rebellion's gonna come. That is the rebellion against God. That is to replace coming to who he is for what we need for us going to other places, maybe even including ourselves. And it goes on to talk about the rebellion must come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Lawlessness, it's against who God is, not against the laws of the land. He'll probably set those. The son of destruction, look at this, who opposes and exalts himself. And it's not going to be just this guy who stands up, right? And okay, everybody bow down to me. No, 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 no. It'll be much more subtle than that. It'll probably even be arrogance cloaked in humility. But the thought here will be, look what I'm able to do. 
I'm able to have a group hug with the whole world. And yes, you're going to have to give in, right? You're going to have to give in with some of the things that you believe. But hey, we've all got to get on the same page here. Because when we're one world government, there'll be no more wars. There'll be lots of promises. But remember, and I don't care what anybody says, the bigger the government gets, the less your freedoms you have. You do realize that. It's an incredible thing how it works. And that's not a political statement, that's a fact. Okay, it's been that way down through history. Bigger government gets, the less freedom you have. That's why God called us to disperse, right? To be free. It's an incredible course. We've dispersed, right? So but we'll, get back. We'll, we'll do that another time, right? Who opposes oxygen against God against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat, his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Basically, he's not going to say, I'm God, worship me. No, he's going to say, hey, listen, I've got all your answers. You want to trust me. You want to follow me because I'm going, to, I'm going to be able to do all these great things. You're not going to have these threats of war, threats of nuclear war, threats of all these things. That's who he's going to be. Well, that's what, that's what Nimrod, that's definitely what Nebuchadnezzar did, but Nimrod was the first one. That's why his name became known as what it was known for. And he goes up, Paul goes in and tells him in verse 5, he says, don't you remember that, that when I was still with you, I told you about these things? And, and that you know Okay, what is restraining him now uh, so that he may reveal in his time? So this of who he's going to be and what's coming, okay, has not been revealed yet at that time, nor has it been at this time, at least not that we know. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness. Now, don't miss. There's a couple things I'm going to point out now. I can't go back and forth. I'm going to run out of time. But remember that word. We'll talk about it again. Remember that word mystery. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Okay? And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the, the, the breath of his mouth. I mean, what is that? Some kind of hocus pocus? No, 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 you'll see it. It's pretty amazing when you see it, if you'll hang with me as we walk through it. And bring to nothing, that is, everything that has been set up, bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So there will be something about his coming that's going to change everything. And we don't know totally what that is, but we'll take a look at it in just a minute. So the coming of the lawless one, okay, is by the activity of Satan himself. So it is satanic in its origin. Anytime anybody is led astray to worship anything else other than the true God, it is this picture. With all power, false signs, and wonders. And all the wicked, okay, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there's this picture then. Everybody's going to jump on board. And I can see it happening. I can see it happening. I can see it happening easy in our culture as the pressure is put on you more and more to conform and basically accept that everybody is right, right? And you'll be ostracized and you'll be ridiculed for doing anything else. That's already happening. 
But that becomes the picture. That is the pressure that is put on to get people to conform. There's going to be a lot of that as we go towards this other. I think, a, personally, I think a crisis is going to cause it. Some sort of economic crisis. Because that hits people the most. All right, number two. Okay, y'all have got to listen faster. All right. Here we go. Number two is the rise of Babylon, okay? The rise of Babylon. So at the time, verse one, the whole earth had, had one language and the same words, which makes sense when you chart it all the way back to where it was. All right, take a look now, if you will, in verse two. And, the, and as the people migrated uh, from uh, the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, hey, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly, that is, make them strong. And then they had some brick for stone and bitumen uh, for mortar. And they said, of which Nimrod is the ruler, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the prefigure of that. But it said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. So it's, it's about us, right? Lest we, don't miss this, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth, the whole earth. Now, what did God tell them to do? To disperse. What are they doing here? The opposite. So you have to look at the, what the rebellion is. Basically doing the opposite of what God had told them to do. Interesting. So we not only have this ruler of Babylon, but I want you to take a look at Babylon itself. And, uh, and we're going to have to look a little bit here at Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through 8. I just want you to see some things. Now, again, some of you who, who've looked at these things, you're going to say, oh, but Jeff, you didn't cover this. I know. All right. And some of you are going to have more and more and more questions. I got that. There's just not enough time. But the thought I want to share with you is this whole picture that connects the book of Genesis and Babel or Babylon with this picture here in Revelation, which is pretty cool if you'll keep hanging with me. All right. Chapter 17, verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1 says this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Okay, the great prostitute. Who's he talking about? Well, you'll find out in a minute we're talking about Babylon. Or at least this picture of Babylon. You know, it was so funny 20-something years ago. You know, remember Saddam Hussein, you know, all of that, and he was trying to, to, you know, basically saying that he was going to be, you know, he was resurrecting in Babylon because Babylon, the ruins of Babylon are in current-day Iraq. So when Saddam Hussein was doing all that he was doing, oh my goodness, all the prophecy, what I call them prophecy mongers, came out with all their predictions and all of their, you know, the, the, the return of Babylon, Saddam Hussein, well, that, that obviously wasn't it. But there's this picture of what Babylon is, and the book of Revelation is referred to as the great prostitute. Now, if you can, I want you to get... I want you to get the sexual part of it out of your brain. I know that's tough, all right? But get the sexual part out of your brain and understanding what is he talking about, the great prostitute. Well, you were created to have a relationship with God, with the God who created you. And so when you go other directions, and, you're, and obviously you're his, 
you go other directions to get those things filled in other places. So Babylon becomes the prostitute, the harlot that says, no, 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 here, over here, it'll be a whole lot better off, be a whole lot more fun, be a whole, yeah, this way, don't go over there. Prostitute. Does that make sense? If you can separate the sexual part of it. Because he goes on with that, with that metaphor. Look at verse two. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the, dwell, the dwellers on earth have become dr drunk. What is he talking about? Well, that means that different kingdoms of the earth are going to sell their soul, if you will, turn their backs on what they believe in order to have this one world thing, right? So they're going to, if you will, get in bed with, with the whole Babylon thought. And it says, through that, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. What does that mean? Well, let's ask, what does it mean to be drunk? Well, it means to put something into your body that, uh, that causes you to think something is real that is not. Well, let me tell you what I mean. Actually, alcohol is a, is a, is a obviously it's a depressant, and, but it also can really basically do away with problems in the short term. They're not done away with, it's synthetic. So what this, this whole picture is, is that when a person, by the way, I just don't like being around drunk people. They are really annoying. They say things they don't mean. They claim to be able to do things they can't do. And, and stupidity comes out of their mouth that they would never say if they were sober. And sorry, some of you. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I, I mean, I used to be a drinker before I became a believer. I, I was part of all of it. But it's amazing to me is that reality is never the part of the life of a drunkard. And so that's what happens here. They become drunk on what Babylon and the ruler of Babylon is giving, right? So guys, it makes sense. When you, when you break it down and take a look at what's happening in this particular thought, is basically Babylon rep represents anything or anybody that pulls people away from the worship of the true God. That takes us back to Nebuchadnezzar. He's trying this word world. He, he, was, he was the first world ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Babylon. And the ba Babylonians were defeated, obviously, by the Greeks, Alexander the Great, and then the Greeks were defeated by the Romans. But the first to do it was the Babylonians, and Nebuchadnezzar was the first. And so he was a smart politician, and he knew he had to get the whole world on the same page. That's why you had that statue. He wasn't just an egomaniac that wanted everybody to worship him. He had that statue because he was trying to change everybody's systems of belief because he knew that the greatest conflict that was going to always come up was what people believed, religious. So he's wanted to change it all to one. And that's what that was all about. And those three Jewish kids wouldn't do it. He says, you guys are messing up my plan. So I've got to make an example of you that everybody else is not going to dare but God bless our Jewish people. They're just not going to bow. We need to be more like them. I'm just not going to bow. I mean, I don't care what you promised me. I don't care what you're going to do to me because that's what those three kids said. Be it known unto you, O king, 
we will not bow down to this hunk of stone that you made and put out in the desert. We're not going to do it. It sounds courageous, and it is courageous, but it's not easy to do when that type of pressure is being put on you, right? Verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and it was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads, ten horns. Basically, that's kingdoms and crowns. Those are, it's, 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 it has a metaphoric type teaching there, which we don't have time to talk about tonight. Right now, take a look at verse four. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and she was adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of what? Mystery. Remember the other thing I told you to remember? Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes. Oh, so she's not only a prostitute herself, but, she, but all of her offspring is. What does that mean? Is that every, everything that is basically, that is an offshoot of what they did at Babylon down to this day, this may help you if you have a desire to know. This is the picture that goes all the way back to this earliest of time. I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Why? Because the first thing that this is going to want to do is stamp out anyone who will not be a part. And that is why our Jewish friends have been persecuted down through the ages, even up to this point. Drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Christ. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. The angel says, then why do you marvel? I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast and the other things, what it's going to say. So I want you to say there's just not enough to time because it's basically about to be destroyed. So I've, I've, got, to, I've got to hurry to the end. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I just want you to see. I want you to see that as ancient of a text as Genesis is, it has this clear picture throughout the Bible, not only of who Christ is, but of the whole system and what it's going to look like. The scariness that goes on in this world, it's going to get scarier. But let me tell you this, there's going to be one that's going to rise up, that's going to promise peace, and he's going to, he's, he's going to look like he can put everybody together on the same page, getting people who hate each other to sit down with each other, and everybody, everybody is going to say, man, this guy's incredible. It can easily happen, especially when things begin to spin, it gets scary. Number three is the ruin of Babylon. And so what happened? Okay, listen fast, because you're about to get three minutes of, of getting a drink from a fire hydrant. All right, here we go. So what happened in Genesis chapter 11? What happened at the end here? How did this all end? Well, the Lord came down. Sound familiar? He's going to come again. And he came down, what did he do? To see this city and this tower, that is this entire debauchery of basically trying to find the answers and everything else, which the children man had built. And the Lord said, you know, they're one people, they're one language, and you know, obviously they're going to be able to do whatever they want to. But isn't it interesting, too, that the God, very God, who created the languages, he basically puts a stop to all of it by his return and he only had to do one thing. 
Okay? Verse 7, come, let us go down and confuse our languages. And that's what happened. And from the word of God's mouth, the breath of his mouth, remember we talked about it earlier? It all came to a screeching halt. Right? Imagine one guy over here saying, hey, hand me another brick. And this guy answers in another language. What do you thought? And then they get in a fight, right? Because isn't it interesting? Just, just the word, one word. It's going to be the same picture in the book of Revelation. Isn't that interesting? Amazing to think about. Amazing to think about. One other quick thing. Have you ever un- tried to understand where we got the word hallelujah? Actually, the word hallelujah came um, when Babylon fell or when it falls in the, in the, in the New Testament. Look at Revelation 18.1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, okay? Having great authority in the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon. It's not that incredible to you? This whole picture, this picture of Babylon, is it going to be a real Babylon that's risen again? Most people thought when Saddam Hussein was there, it might be. Most, some people believe it'll be the Roman Empire that'll gather steam again. I don't know exactly what it means, but it will be a, a picture of it. Okay? So she has become a, a dwelling place for demons, the haunt of every unclean spirit. Uh, uh, excuse me, every unclean spirit, bird. And it goes on to talk about some of the detestable beasts. For all the nations have drunk the wine and the passion of her sexual immorality. In other words... In order to go into the one, you go to another. That's the sexual immorality. You were made to be one with God. That's why marriage is such an incredible thing. That is why God takes it so personal when we commit physical sexual immorality. Because it's a prefigure of those who go after others like in this case, right? It's an amazing thing. If you'll just take a look at it, the parallels are absolutely incredible. For all the nations are drunk. That is, they can't even think straight. Why? Because when you're drunk, you will usually make decisions you wouldn't make when you were sober. That's why people drink. That way they can blame it on it. So it says they drunk with the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants have grown rich, luxurious living. Look at this. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, saying what? Verse 5. Verse 5. Guess not. Guess not. Guess not. All right, take a look. It goes on to say, uh, no, they were right. I'm sorry. My apologies. 19, verse 1. And after this, I heard a loud, seeing a loud voice of great multitude and saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth uh, with her immorality and avenged the blood of the servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, and the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So really, Hallelujah, all that means is praise the Lord, praise Jehovah, right? All it means is praise the Lord. And the reason it was used, because Babylon fell, 
That's the last great fall, right? So as you put these together, this little story of Nimrod (laughs) is a picture all through, much like the ark was of Christ, of what's going to come and how it's going to end in the pre-picture there, in the the pre-picture, if you will, of, uh, of what that looks like. So as I close today, two or three things for you to take with you. Number one, I just wanted you to see, because I wanted you to see that the more I take a look at the scriptures, the more I see and understand that down through the centuries, there's no way someone could have written with such unity and precision a plan that seems to strengthen itself as time goes on. It's incredible to think about. So as a believer today, I just wanted your faith to be strengthened. But also, too, if you're not a believer today, the great question is, what is it that you're running after that you think is the answer for you, for your life? Interesting. Because isn't it interesting how that the, the more we look for answers, the more we think we find them, but they, they end up hollow or meaningless or not able to do what we wanted them to do. That's because we're running after the wrong things. We're running after the things that were never meant to fill that place inside. So if, there's any, if there were some, any of you that would like to put your faith and trust in him, would like to even know what that means. Obviously, there'd be some folks down here afterwards that would love to talk with you and, uh, and, and just share with you. And the reason I do that, don't let that scare you. I just never want anyone leaving any of our services saying, well, I really wanted to talk to somebody, but I couldn't find anybody. Oh, they're right here, Okay. They're right here. There's also some booklets under the little sign got question if you'd like to know more about obviously who Christ is. Next week, we're going to finish this. Next week's title is The Tale of Two Trees. All right? The Tale of Two Trees. Looking very much looking forward to share that with you. All right, God bless you. Let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer.